This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Hannah, so excited to have you on the podcast. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. Just give us some context for listeners. Maybe tell us a little bit about like where you're from, you know, maybe what you do for work, if you work. Yeah. So my name's Hannah. I am originally from Burlingame, California. Well, that's where I was born, but I lived in South San Francisco for four years of my life. We moved a lot as a family. So I lived in Sacramento area, moved to Colorado when I was 11. I moved quite a bit during that time. I went to three different high schools. So that was kind of interesting, an interesting experience, I should say. Ended up in Carbon County, Utah. So (laughs) um, I love it. When I first moved here, I did not like it at all. And then I come to really love it here. So Awesome. Cool. So do you work? Do you go to school? Yeah. So... Yeah, so I work at a local um, vet office here in town. I love my job so much. I take care of animals, make sure um, owners are okay with everything that's been going on. It's really awesome. I love my job. I love the people I work with. And it's quite fun some days. Sometimes we have a hard, busy day, but most of the time it's really fun. And I'm glad I could have that opportunity because I never really knew what I wanted to be. I started out as a nursing major and then I became kind of had an experience with, I actually got to help deliver kittens and that's kind of how I got my love oh my for God. animals. So that's <laughs> cool. I love yeah. that. Awesome. Well, cool. Um, let's just go ahead and jump in and get started here. Yeah. So about five years ago, I was, it was like 2018. I was 19 years old and I decided to go on a mission. (laughs) I was called to the Georgia-Macon mission and I was super excited, uh, a little anxious. I struggle a lot with anxiety and depression. So um, during the whole time, um, it was super awesome. The whole process was super easy for me. And then about the night before I left on my mission, I was set apart as a missionary and kind of had a whole like mental breakdown. (laughs) Um, It was super hard for me. And the next morning, I was, you know, I had to wake up early and drive to Provo to get to the MTC. Uh, That's kind of where everything kind of took off. I was only unfortunately there for four days and I came home early due to, I had a severe anxiety attack. And this is right around the time of general conference. I was just having a lot of anxiety, like the worst anxiety attack you could probably ever imagine. And I had that for four days straight. The only um, kind of break I had from the anxiety attack was when I went to bed and when I prayed and studied my scriptures. And so it was a really, really hard time for me. I eventually had an interview with the mission president at the MTC. And I told him, I'm like, if I don't go home, I might, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, Meaning that I was also suicidal as well at the time. We contacted my parents and um, I was able to, and I did come home. I do remember I was um, still set apart for about a day because it was general conference. And so I had to have my mom with me. She's my, (laughs) she's my companion. I kind of went through that, but most of the time I was in bed crying and um, not, I wasn't doing very well. (laughs) I do remember watching a BYU vocal point. I can't remember this song at the moment, but it was a song during that. It was like their new Easter song. And that was kind of what helped me get through everything. 
I had people that were super supportive. I was so, I was really, I felt a lot of guilt, I think, because I had so many people's support before I left, you know, people sending me cards with like money in it and um, things like that. And so I just felt really guilty that I didn't last as long as I thought I was going to. And that was really hard. Um, I remember um, specifically a time where I was in church and I was like crying and it was a hard, it was really hard go, going back to church after all of that, you know, at, in my home ward. So I remember giving a card of money that this woman gave me from my ward and she gave it back to me and gave me a hug. She's like, that was a gift kind of like that. You can keep that. And so that was like really touching because I knew people supported me. Um, unfortunately, I had the opposite as well. I didn't have, I had people not say very nice things to me or assume that I did something wrong uh, while I was in the MTC, things like that. And so kind of like the stereotypical things people think when you come home early, right? <laughs> I struggled my faith a little bit during that time, but I was still going strong. <laughs> my dad actually helped me. Uh, me and my dad are best friends. So me and my mom are also like, I'm very, I have a very close knit family and my dad found a job for me. He's like, you need to you probably should get a job, you know, and make sure that you're doing everything correctly and everything. So he helped me get a job. I worked at the boys and girls club uh, in Carmen County and it was a lot of fun. I had a blast people I worked with. It was so much fun, met lifelong friends. Um, and that's actually where I met my ex. Uh, we worked together from there. We, <laughs> we started a relationship, talking about marriage quite a bit met his whole family, things like that. December of 2018, January of 2019. During that time, I really, really struggled with my faith. It was a hard time in my life, I think. And I was more so struggling with um, God's plan for me. I didn't understand. I was so confused. And so I think I was still so bitter and angry about coming home from my mission. Sometimes I still have a really hard time with it. So I really dealt with a lot of depression and anxiety during that time as well. Around April, I was at the time dating my ex and I, I had left the church at that point. I was three months into four months maybe into not going to church. And I had been a member my whole life. Like I was born in the church. I was raised with family home evening and my mom's visiting sisters wow. had like, you know, close friends and I just was raised heavily into being LDS. And so I didn't know what a life was like outside of that. When I left the church, that was really hard. I didn't know where my life was heading. I was um, young and I thought I was getting married. So that was like super exciting. I was like thrilled. Fortunately, I went to, I was having a crisis. I was dealing with some suicidal ideation and I went to the local hospital here and they had uh, sent me to the behavioral unit in the Provo hospital. Was your ex, was he not in the church? I, I Give us a little bit of context for, you know, you had talked about getting married and what, and you talked about your anxiety and depression being really intense, but ultimately like making the decision to leave the church. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, tell me what kind of kicked that off like obviously clearly you're struggling with anxiety and depression but was it like you just were like this is too much for me with you know everything that they're asking was it did your ex was he a member of the church like was that tell us a little bit more about that yes he was but his like family I guess I don't know if they 
I can't exactly remember, but I know that like they went to church and then I don't know exactly what happened, but he kind of like stopped going to church um, and he was a year younger than me. So, but most of my issue during that time was I was a perfectionist. I was so like, I think most of the time I was so like angry and hurt with God at the moment because I didn't understand why I came home from my mission. I didn't understand why my life was different from everybody else's. I had people getting married around me or getting engaged or things like that. And that was really hard because that's been something I've always wanted. When, you know, I finally found someone that I like connected with and everything, I was super excited. And I guess going back to my, my issue, (laughs) I struggled with basically perfect, like being a perfectionist. I really struggled with when I would make like a tiny, like itty bitty mistake, I would beat myself so hard about it. I had a bishop in my YSA ward. So I started going to YSA by the time I was 18. I was so excited. Like I, that's what I wanted to do. And so I had a bishop in my YSA ward and he was amazing. I still talk to that man to this day. Like he's, um, he knows everything that's happened to me. And so I am very close with that bishop and he was very supportive with my um, struggle with church. And even when I went inactive, he talked to me as well. So I mostly just struggled with perfectionism. I was so hard on myself. I'm st- I still kind of am, <laughs> but I eased up on myself a little bit. But if I was like, if I like swore that day, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I was like super hard on myself. And so I think me beating myself up so much, I think that also took a toll on my faith crisis as well. That was kind of, I think, the main thing, my mental health, um, dealing with the depression, anxiety, and then not knowing how to cope with all of that, as well as like me being hard on myself, coming on my mission, people telling me like really rude stuff after I came home, things like that. And so that was just like, I think all of that mixed together as well as like, I started reading things online about the church as well. And I don't think that helped either. <laughs> That's it kind of just started come crashing down be- right before I went to the hospital. Between the time that you left the church and went to the hospital, like how much time had passed between that time frame? I never officially told anybody, but I think it was around beginning of March. And before mm-hmm. that, I started like not going to church as often as I had been before, things like that. And so I think when I officially left, left was in March. Um, and then I went into the hospital, I believe it was April 9th or something like that around the beginning, first two weeks of April. So, Because I was curious, you know, when you left, what it felt like with your perfectionism and, you know, because there's a lot of people that struggle with perfectionism in the church and Um, So I was just curious, like what, how that affected your perfectionism. You clearly left because you were just, it was too much and, you know, all the other things compounding, but you know, what was that like when you decided to leave? How did you feel at that time? It was hard. It was hard. I think I was just having, I was all, I mean, I was also dealing with like mental health as well. And so when I officially left the church, it was just like, oh no overwave of emotion. I felt like my life was changing so much. I think that was something that I don't think people in my close personal life knew and understood at the time that I was dealing with so much in my head, but I didn't communicate that with others. And so I think that was really shocking for everybody around me. 
because I had changed as a person when I left the church. It was quite the change. I I think I had a lot of times uh, when I would be by myself and I would sob and cry. Cause I, I was just, I felt like everything was changing so fast. And I don't know if I knew how to deal with it at the time. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of how I felt. I felt like um, very anxious. Depression started coming back again. And I think that's when uh, I was also put on a um, medication called Prozac. That medication, I think, also kind of worsened things for me um, and with just my mental health and just a whole compound of things. But that's kind of how mainly how I felt. I've just felt like a, yeah. and in my little bubble of life and my, you know, being raised in the church, it was just like, it was so hard for me and I didn't understand what was going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So, okay, going back to the hospital. So you, you go to this hospital, you know, you're, you're struggling with all of these things. So tell us from, from that point. So the night that I went to the hospital, I was struggling with a multitude of things. I was super insecure and I started projecting that onto others when I finally was just, I think my brain and my person and my soul was just like over it. And I started having an exact plan of what was like, what I was going to do. And that scared me. Um, Before I had the chance to do anything, I told a close friend at the time that if I was by myself, if I went home by myself, I would have done something to myself and I need her to drive me to the hospital. So I, I did, I went to the hospital. I, uh, was in the emergency room. A social worker came in and asked if I was a harm to myself. And she said, um, I believe she said, are you a harm to yourself or others? And I said, I'm a, I am think feel like I'm a harm to myself. And so that's when um took a few hours. I had um, my bishop that I um, talked to almost every week at the time. Before I left the church, I would talk to him every week. Um, he came as well as his two counselors that I was very close with as well. At the time, I was really bitter about church and stuff. So they did ask if I wanted a priesthood blessing and I declined. My friend that took me to the hospital asked if she should call my parents and she did. She called them and let them know I was here. And then, um, you know, my loving parents dropped everything and came to the hospital to help me. So, and during this time I was having problems with my relationship with my parents. So we were having, you know, just, I think they were really shocked and hurt uh, that I left the church because they didn't quite understand but they did come and they were with me. The social worker um, told my parents, well, asked my permission and then told my parents uh, that she can tell them what was going on. And then I told my parents what was going on. And so close after, well, I made the decision as what the hell with my parents to go to Provo. I believe it was the Intermountain um, Hospital in Provo in the behavioral unit. And I stayed there for about four days. Little um, history of how you're checked into a mental hospital. So my parents drove from uh, Carbon County, Utah, all the way to Provo. It's about an hour or so drive. <laughs> and at like, I think it was at like four or five in the morning. And um, they got me a bed and I was able to stay there. They checked me in, told, uh, knew what was going on. And then I was kind of felt like a prison, not going to lie. <laughs> as much as they want to help you, it feels kind of like that. And so they make sure that you don't have any self-harm marks. Um, so they make sure that everything is good with your body physically. And then that's when you start therapy. And um, I did quite a few recreational therapies that I 
actually still do to this day. So um, I did get a lot of help. I, at this point, my ex had no idea I was in the hospital till about a day and a half later, I think, from what I can remember. I let my job know at the time, and they knew that I was a provo um, in a mental hospital trying to get some help. And so that's kind of how that went. It was super um, scary. I think I had just turned 20 years old, and I was in a mental hospital with people that I didn't know, with um Sometimes they had worse uh, mental health issues than I did. I do remember um, waking up and, or walking into the unit that I was in and a girl was sitting in a chair and would like not look at anyone and was like had her hair in her face and it like scared me. Like I was a very like young kid, didn't know what I was doing and didn't know what I was in for. Like I didn't know what I was expect. I didn't expect anything. And so that was like, I look back on, as an adult now, I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> that would have been hard for a 20 year old kid. So uh, there was people like going through like withdrawal and stuff that I had never been around before. And so that was um, really an eye opening and scary experience. I would definitely, I wish that I had more tools back then that I could deal with. But I think that was mainly, that's kind of my hospital experience. I remember one time where they have to take blood every so often. I think it's like every other day or something like that. And it was like 5.36 a.m. And they would took my blood and I was like half asleep. So I don't even like I remember bits and pieces of it. I went to therapy quite a bit during that time, begging them to take me home, <laughs> begging them to release me because I didn't want to be there anymore. So mm. what was your ex-boyfriend's response to this you know when he found out and what was your relationship like at that time and how did he react uh it was a little rough during that time we were actually living together so by the time that we got together in january to the time that i went to the hospital i had already talked about marriage we were living together at the time and also worked together so our relationship went by really really fast like it was like fast forward like hmm. now as an adult 24 almost 25 year adult I don't think I would ever do that again but like it went really really fast his response um from what I um heard and what he told me he was scared for me I know that uh I remember um he was at work at the time and I guess like his face like went completely white and he didn't know what to do he was also he was 19, so he was a year younger than me, and so he was also a kid. So I think that was a very big crisis for two young kids, and we didn't know quite how to deal with that. Um, but I know, like, that he was scared and nervous, and it's a huge, huge thing to deal with. Yeah, that was just, like, it was a very, very traumatic experience, I think. I was in such a mental crisis and was, like, struggling really really hard and I didn't tell anyone until I went to the hospital so so what happened when you when you left so you're you know in the middle of all this you're having you're getting a lot of great therapy which you know I've been to re drug rehab many many times and so I can completely relate to your feeling of like going <laughs> in there and getting your blood drawn in the middle of the night and like so yeah. anyway I mean, just total flashbacks for me too but and it does kind of feel like a prison for sure 
Um, yeah. But anyway, so you're going through this, you're receiving that therapy that's, you're doing it today, clearly it made an impact on you. So mm-hmm. what happened when you, when you left and you completed the program? I mentioned in therapy, my um, sexual experience that I had when I was 16. Um, and I didn't know because I was a young kid, <laughs> but it was a sexual assault. And so I found that out in therapy and that was a really, really hard. Um, I was still living with my boyfriend at the time. I do remember when I came home, um, my parents got me and we drove um, all the way back to my house. I do remember I had gone to work, I believe the next day, and I had just been put on some medication that made me super sleepy. I think we were renovating the my work at the time. I think we were putting like new carpet in or something like that. And I remember falling asleep on the couch because I was getting used to my new medication. And uh, I remember my bosses and people that I worked with were asking if I was okay. Like I had explained to them, you know, different medications I was on and and things like that. During the whole hospital stay, my boss, you know, I called my boss and we talked and everything. And that was um, super awesome. I had great people in my life at the time that really um, cared and understood what I was going through. And so, you know, two people that I worked with um, had gone to school for psychology. So they understood um, a lot of things that I was saying and talking about and going through. So, um, but a lot of the stuff that happened after, I don't quite remember. Um, I'm still, I'm slowly starting to remember things that happened during that time. I'm trying, but it's hard to, <laughs> after yeah. such a traumatic experience and other, you know, things going on during that time, working and trying to be a better version of myself, you know, things like that. I was, it's hard to remember, but that's one thing that I do remember is being very sleepy. And I think I was still also depressed. I don't know if the medication was quite working for me. I was still super anxious and everything like that. And I'm trying to go to my new therapist that I had gotten after I went to therapy as a referral. And so that was, it was a weird situation in my life. It was very, I didn't know really what to do. I didn't know what was going on with me still at this point, you know, after getting home from the hospital and going through therapy and everything, I still didn't understand. I was quite clueless in that whole aspect of my life, but that's kind of what I can recall from that time. Were you living with your boyfriend when you got out or your, yeah, your boyfriend? So I think that uh, kind of changed the relationship a little bit because it was such a traumatic event in my life as well as his. Now that I'm older and can understand that suicide and people going into mental health and getting help um, doesn't just affect the person that is specifically going through that, which is me. It affected everybody around me, my family, my friends, my boyfriend at the time my work, my coworkers, and um, it affects everybody. I realized that now, but at the time I just felt like I was so like into in myself and um, I was struggling very, very badly with a lot of mental health issues still after getting help. And so um, it definitely affected the relationship a lot. I was 20 at the time. So my communication skills weren't as great as they are now. (laughs) And so I didn't know how to communicate how I was feeling and how I was trying to deal, I was dealing with a lot. And so it was really hard to deal with all of that and have a relationship at the same time. Um, And just communicating how I was feeling was extremely hard. So what happened after that? You're, you know, you're still living with your boyfriend. You're still, you're still trying to process everything that happened. So what happened next? It was April that we, that I went into the hospital so a few weeks after, um, we started going through 
um, a lot. I was, I think now looking back, trying to remember everything, we were extremely frustrated with each other. Not only were we just living together, we were living with two other people too. Sometimes private conversations between a relationship were overheard or whatever. And that was extremely hard as well. When I came home from the hospital, I kind of acted like nothing happened because I didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't know how to communicate it. Um, But it started to become a lot of frustration. And I think a lot of resentment started to happen between um, us. This was around May and June were a really, like it was a struggle. And then around July, I think it was, is when we officially broke up. Got it. And how was that to break up after you guys have been living together and gone through all of that? Oh, it was a rough time. We weren't really speaking. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was extremely frustrated as well um, and angry. And I blamed him for everything. I never, I don't think I took accountability for the way I was in the relationship. And I think that's what also um, kind of started to cause a lot of issues. Um, but there was a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing and a lot of miscommunication made mistakes on both parts and then when the night of the breakup happened a few days after that we I officially moved out of the house or out of the apartment with the help of my parents family friends of ours that helped me very I was a very angry person I didn't (laughs) I told them I was moving out I was like never talking to this person again I got all of my stuff packed as fast as I could um, with my car, I had a little car at the time, um, and my parents' car, and also our family friend's car. Got them all packed at the. I don't know how we got my apartment packed so fast, but we did. We got it. I think we got it done with less than an hour. Um, we got my apartment packed, and then I moved back in with my parents. So then, what happened after that? I didn't talk to him at all. I was extremely hurt. I had a lot of awesome people around me that helped me. I would go on drives with friends from high school that knew about it um, because my relationship was very public. I posted a lot of um, things about my relationship on social media and things like that. And so people knew about the breakup and I don't think I was very quiet about it either. (laughs) So um, I had a lot of people take me on drives, talk about how I was feeling. But I think the hardest part for me about this relationship Um, was different from any other relationship I was in is because I not only lost a boyfriend person that I'm romantically involved with I lost my best friend and so that was extremely hard and I had never had a relationship like that before so Hmm. so you're living with your parents you know you're probably still fresh from being in the the treatment center you know what was life like post breakup and living with your parents I met my friends that I'm still friends to this day. When I lived with my parents, when I slowly, I think, started emotionally disconnecting from them, that's when I started uh, struggling with my sexuality. I eventually met a um, woman that I ended up in a relationship with. I don't think I was ready for that relationship as well. And I was also struggling with very much internal things regarding that. I still didn't know how to communicate that, if that makes sense. That was rough as well. I remember just feeling extremely hurt. I felt used, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, It was really complicated. My life was very, very complicated back then. I had 
just broken up with my boyfriend at the time, July of that year, and then started slowly dating a girl, November, December of that year. So my boyfriend and the girl I was dating, I started emotionally disconnecting from my parents. I wouldn't talk, me and my dad are extremely close. You know, he's my best friend and I told him everything. I think most of it was because I was dealing with so much mentally and physically and like within my like spirit that I was so broken. So my grandparents lived in Carbon County as well. And we would have family dinners a lot. And I started not going. I still wasn't going to church at this point. Before I met the girl I was dating, I kind of came back to church for a little bit. And then I kind of stopped going again. And so I think everyone around me was like super confused, (laughs) as well as I. (laughs) The girlfriend I was dating at the time, she was going through a crisis as well. The relationship just kind of changed by January our relationship was non-existent. It was just awkward. She ended the relationship with me. And so I was hurt and bitter. And so I was probably not the very kindest person in the world. So. And then what happened after that? You're still living with your parents, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Still not really talking to them. I maybe would talk to them once or twice a week. And that sounds nuts because I live with my parents. So I was kind of reclusive. I would go on drives and then closely after that I was thinking about moving back out my plan at the time was to move out by myself I have struggled living with my parents I had pretty high expectations for myself so I really wanted to move back out on my own but I was scared you know I had lived with my boyfriend and two other people and he's my ex at at this time and so when I was getting in the process of getting into an apartment again I was scared to be by myself if that makes sense. And ironically enough, my apartment was in the same apartment complex as the apartment complex that I lived with my boyfriend at the time. That was a little awkward. (laughs) I moved in around end of April. We lived together for two years. We had parties. Um, We would get very drunk, (laughs) listen to loud music. And I was living, I thought, my best life, right? I thought I was living my best life. I um, was on a lot of medication. Um, I had just found out that I was diagnosed with the BRCA1 gene, a gene that basically you're high risk to get ovarian and breast cancer. My mom had gotten this test right before we moved to Utah. So I made the decision to get tested as well, and I was positive. And so that was also another um, a medical thing that I was dealing with, and it was really hard during that time. It started, I started questioning if I should have kids because if a parent has it, then there, you have a 50% chance of your child having it. So mm-hmm. I was really struggling. Yeah, I was really struggling. I'd always wanted a family. That was one of my main goals and life expectations for myself. Right. And so feeling like I couldn't have that was really a hard time for me. I definitely struggled a lot. Plus with, you know, this is about a year into my breakup with two people. So I was also dealing with the anger and bitterness from all that too. I was on so many medications. I got diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome and other different medical problems. So I had like a pill organizer full of all of my pills that I was on. So I started getting a lot of weight. I am a, usually I'm a very petite person. I am very little. And I didn't hit 100 pounds until I was the Christmas of my senior year of high school. So I've been very little my whole life. 
I got up to the weight of, I think it was 165 is what I was up to. I was very swollen. You could tell that I was gaining weight and I didn't really like myself very much. I have a eating disorder as well um, that I struggled with in high school and it was anorexia. So I wouldn't eat for periods of time. Sometimes I would overly exercise until I was exhausted and no one knew. Um, my parents didn't know until I graduated high school and went to therapy when uh, I was in college. I was definitely struggling with a lot of things <laughs> at the time. For the two years that I, I barely, maybe three years, I barely talked to my parents. I would go to family functions, but I wasn't really there. And then I would leave. When I finally moved out of my apartment, that is when I started getting a better relationship with my family. And at this point, over the last few years, you know, my parents would invite me to church. I think I had been at this time three years inactive. And my mom had prayed every single day that I would come back to church. I didn't find that out until later. <laughs> I started gaining a better relationship with my family. My brother had graduated and I had missed a lot. Um, I was at his graduation, but during, you know, his school year, I rarely went to football games. I was very much a recluse and in my age of the world. <laughs> I didn't go out. My siblings had things that they were doing in school that I was invited to and I would decline. And so there was a, once I moved back with my parents, there was a lot of guilt of not being there for my family. That was really hard to deal with. Uh, we had a few conversations of things. I had finally gotten their trust and their um, that relationship that I had with them before. Spent Christmas with them. It was so fun. We went on a cruise as a family. I was invited to go and everything. And I think this was last Christmas. We went to California where I'm originally from and got to visit my family. And then I started working for the after-school program that I worked for. I had kind of started this, you know, new happy life with my family. My family has always been my support system. It was really hard not being able to have that relationship. I think that was mostly on my end because I, I felt uncomfortable, especially with me being inactive and I had read the CES letter at the time. Did you read it like during this time period or was it like previously? So I read the CES letter and I was actually on X-Form and TikTok. I was very vocal about being ex-Mormon. <laughs> I was very vocal about my beliefs and what I believed in. And But yes, I had read the CES letter during the, during the two and a half so years I was living in my apartment uh, with a roommate at the time. After my breakup, I was still on the fence. I didn't know a lot of things that people that are ex-Mormon talk about. I had no clue until I started researching for myself. So I read the CES letter. I had a few people on TikTok and Instagram that I followed um, that would share their experiences with being ex-Mormon and um, the process of being ex-Mormon. Because I, I think I was trying to find other people that related to me and mm -hmm. the pain and the anger and the bitterness that I felt. And honestly, I felt betrayed after finding all of this stuff out, things that people talk about. You know, there's instances where I would talk to my parents, like I went on a trip with them. I expressed to my uncle and my dad what my beliefs were and why I believed them. And, um, you know, me and my dad had, we had this like little conversation and I started to cry and I'm like, I just want someone to understand what I feel. And I think my parents started to realize like, not that they ever lost faith that I was coming back to church, but I think they came to terms with Hannah will find out, figure out her life 
when it's ready and God's timing and stuff. And, and so that was kind of the relationship I had with my parents at the time. It was a really, really rough time. And I think it was also my siblings were very young when all this happened. And so they didn't understand five kids, including me and my family. And so I'm the oldest. Then there's my brother, my, and then my three younger sisters. My brother was barely a junior when all this was going on. And my three sisters were still in elementary and middle school at the time. So they were very little and didn't understand everything going on. So, (laughs) yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, going back to church. Tell us about how that started and what that looked like. Yeah. So I've been friends with my friends for a very long time, known them for almost five years. I was starting slowly getting this feeling of like, it's, started happening a few months prior. We have this um, uh, little thing that they do. uh, I think at the time was like Thursday nights. Um, So I have a very close-knit friends. Like they're all my best friends and they know pretty much everything going on in my life. (laughs) After all of the things I've been through, it was really hard for me to trust people. So I had a hard time making friends. Um, I had three friends that I'm very close with. And when I met my last friend, um, she's um, a little younger than me, but she was, you know, going to church and everything like that. And I remember her inviting me to church one time because she didn't want to go by herself. And so I wore this maroon cross bag and I have tattoos all down my arms. So I was very uncomfortable. I, I had made a joke. I'm like, God might smite me if I'm in this building. <laughs> Just was very not mentally in church at all. She invited me to a line dancing thing. It's like swing dance, lining, line dancing. So I went super uncomfortable. I was like, I have nothing in common with these people. <laughs> I'm just an active who's gonna, you know, she actually came and lived with us for a little bit while I was still living in my apartment. So we became pretty close really fast. And then once I moved out, we got even closer. And so she was one of my, you know, really close friends, but it was around... I think it was like middle of March of this year, actually, I kind of had like this overwhelming feeling. I need to go back to church and I'm scared. That's the feeling I got. And so I called up my really close friend. I was just like crying. I didn't know I was scared. I was having all sorts of insecurities. I'm like, well, I have tattoo. Like who's going to like, And things like that. And I'm like, I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 years old. Like, I don't know what to do. And um, I remember my friend telling me, if that makes you happy, then I think you should do it. I believe the next morning I told my parents that I wanted to go to church. And that Sunday I went to church for the first time with an open heart and open mind. You know, it's I still struggle with um, certain aspects of church. I've only been going back to church for about seven months, I guess, now. But I do remember my first general conference as a little bit of an active member. I was only about a month active at this point. We had general conference and I was at my grandparents' house. I don't exactly remember what talk or who spoke, but I knew that they were speaking to me. I promise they were like looking right at me. Just the April 2023. And it was, if you are struggling with coming back to church or your testimony, you are loved and cared for and you are loved by a lot of people and have a lot of people around. That's kind of the gist I, I got from that. I've had, you know, so many instances. Um, I, that definitely 
I had talked to friends and went on a drive and finally made the decision to go back to church was probably one of the most, sorry, I might get emotional. One of the most spiritual experiences I've, I've ever had. And I've had quite a few in my life. That was one of the hardest decisions and sort of the easiest decisions I could make. I remember, you know, once I told my parents that I was coming back to church, he's like, I always knew you had a testimony and that never changed. And I can see how happy and bubbly you are now. I didn't realize it back then, but my personality started to change. I started, um, my bitterness, angerness started becoming my personality. And I wasn't the bubbly, happy Hannah that everyone knew and loved. And I started becoming really dark and gloomy. <laughs> Probably not as fun to be around. <laughs> As I've been making decisions to go back to church and uh, strive to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father, I've seen the happiness that it makes me. Me being recently active now, I still struggle with a lot of things with, you know, helping other inactive members because I know exactly how it feels. And I never want to push that on somebody else like, you know, some people pushed on me. You know, I had wonderful people in my life that. Um, you know, would give me cookies or send me a happy birthday card or even my mom, she prayed for me for four or five years. And so I think the power of prayer and the power of the spirit is extremely important. I'm very grateful to be back. I still struggle a lot. Go, waking up in the morning, go to church is not my best. I'm not very good at that. I still have a lot of new insecurities that I'm trying to figure out and work through. And so I think that, you know, having faith in God's timing and God's love for all of us, we're all his children. And I'm so grateful for the fact that I have a family that cared enough about me to keep in contact with me, even though I didn't, sorry, keep in contact with them and people around my life that can see that I was struggling, but still like made the effort for it to be a part of my life and I'm inter- I'm like eternally grateful for them because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't have those friends in my- and family in my life or the people in my life that made an effort and tried to help me and they weren't pushing me to go back to church they were just trying to be my friend or they just loved me for me for me being myself or be- me being just present <laughs> definitely I have a testimony of God's timing Sometimes we feel like God doesn't listen to us or he's, you feel like he's not listening to you, but he does listen to our prayers. He knows exactly what we're going through and he knows the timing and what things need to pass at a certain time. I can look back over my the last five years of my life and see God's hand in every single aspect of it, the bad and ugly and the, you know, little happy times I would have. I can see his hand in all of it. And I, I'm just so grateful for Heavenly Father. He's, he's definitely um, been very much a big part of my life for a very long time. And so I'm glad that I'm active again. <laughs> I look back now from my like 20 to 24 years of age. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like <laughs> the things that the little mini miracles that happened in my life that I didn't realize at the time, but I can look back now and look at. And even in, you know, a few years in the future, as I look back on, you know, here and now, I can see God's hand guiding me to where I'm supposed to be. And my dad always told me that 
Satan's going to try to pull you down if you're doing something right. And so I think that I try to live up to that. I try to remember that when I'm going through a hard time or I'm still struggling with whatever I'm struggling with. Um, I can still, I look back, I'm like, okay, God's timing. That's so important for us to remember, you know, patience. I'm not a very patient person, but I've had to kind of learn. I had to learn it for a little while and just super grateful for that. So I love that so much. You have such a beautiful story and I love, it's amazing to see how you have been through so much in your life from coming home early from your mission to, you know, all of the health struggles and the mental health struggles and just so many challenges. And then, I mean, for you to just be, just have an open heart and being willing to just open your heart and mind to the possibility of what it would be like to come back to church and then to be able to look and see the Savior's hand in your life and to see how God works in your life is, I don't know, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm so happy you're back, Hannah. I, oh, you're just, you. <laughs> your story will help a lot of people. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your beautiful story and just for <laughs> being who you are. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any final <laughs> thoughts before you wrap up? To those out there that are struggling with mental health, as a person that's realized later on that I was a sexual assault victim, I think that it's very hard as I've used, you know, scripture study and prayer in my life and, you know, tried to go to church as much as I can to take the sacrament. I've seen the happiness and light that I can feel through that. You know, I always tell people, I'm like, going back to church makes me happy and God has a plan for me um, because I never want to force that on somebody else because I know how that feels. And so I just encourage those that are struggling with all of that to to try to try and gaining a relationship with your heavenly father is beneficial to you and makes you happy love that perfect way to wrap it up <laughs> all right well hannah thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me <laughs> Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.